good to be with you again. I'm always uh, amazed at Brother Noah actually having me back, but it happens quite often. We're glad of that, though. turn to uh, Psalm 55. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and I'm going to, I'm going to preach a message to you that I preached about five years ago. You probably wouldn't remember it anyway, right? Is this on too? Um, my brother Malak asked me to preach. My mind went to this message, and I thought, well, you know, I did that one about five years ago, and, and uh, you know, you're not supposed to ever preach the same message in the church. And so, so I just kind of dismissed it, put it out of my mind, and that uh, the Lord, uh, I believe it was the Lord, uh, kind of uh, haunted me with this. And, and then as I got to thinking about it, I thought, well, I think that's what you want me to do. And so Psalm 55. How many remember a message I preached on bitterness? Do you remember that? Anyone remember it? Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, you remember it. Everybody remember it. Okay. And I preached it around uh, quite a few churches, and uh, it seems like a, it seems like there's always uh, someone that will come up after and say, you know, I, I really needed that, or or um, or I remember one time uh, uh, a guy told me said, more our church really needed. I don't believe that's the case here, but there may be someone, and uh, so I want to I want to preach on this message of bitterness here today. Um, Psalm 55. We're going to move from Psalm 55, and we're going to kind of move around again. That's a topical message, and so we're going to move to a number of scriptures, and but we're going to start here, and we're going to start with a, actually an illustration. Um, we're going to start with a, a narrative of an actual event <coughs> that took place in David's life. And so, um, what I think is, I think it may be something ought to be addressed at least once a year. And, um, uh, because this is something that's easy to drift into whether we really realize it at the beginning stages or not. Well, let's pray. Our Father, uh, we ask now, Lord, as we take some time here uh, to discuss this important subject, Lord, we pray that you would help us. And uh, Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would guide us through the message and that, Lord, you would make an impression uh, upon our hearts uh, and with this message as well. We ask and pray, Lord, that uh, once again you'd have your way in each life and you know the needs that we have. And Lord, you, you know if there's bitterness in our hearts or if there's something that in our hearts that may lead to that. And Lord, we pray that you would expose that. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, not a person here if they walk out uh, would be unaware of what it is and, uh, and how it comes about and what to do about it. And so our Father, we pray that again, you'd have your way, that you'd lead and guide us through the message and empower the word of God in Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 55, um, I want to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read uh, several sections of it. So let's start. And it says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. If 
because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they have cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I have wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander off and remain in the wilderness. Okay, I want to jump down to verse 12 now. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. We find here that obviously this one that David was so concerned about, uh, this, this enemy that he was talking about was someone that was not uh, of the Philistines or the Moabites or the Ammonites or one of the other enemies of Israel, but someone that had been his own friend. Now look at verse 20. He hath put forth his hand against such as be at peace with him, he hath broken his covenant. The words in his mouth were smoother than butter, but warmth was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. And so notice here again, it was a trusted counselor or guide and friend that had caused such trouble in David's life. Uh, we find here that, again, in verse 20 and 21, there was a betrayal. There were broken promises of loyalty. He played the part of a loyal friend. He talked like a friend, yet he was not a friend in his heart. Now, I believe that we can discover the identity uh, of this individual that's being spoken of in Psalm 55. And so let, I want to take you back to some verses back in the book of 2 Samuel. And you know, 2 Samuel is a, really a history or a, a review of David's life. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15, I'm going to read several verses there, and then uh, 16 and a couple of verses out of chapter 17. And verse uh, chapter 15, verse 10 through 12. And it says this, But Absalom, now we understand that Absalom is one of David's sons, and, and Absalom, we know that, uh, tried to overthrow the throne. He tried to, he rebelled and revolted against his father David. And this is an account of that. And it says, But Absalom, sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. 
And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Dalitite, David's counselor from his city, either from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. So we find here Absalom in this rebellion has gathered up a small uh, group of men to begin with. Uh, it turned into a small army, uh, but he also sent for uh, David's trusted counselor, Ahithophel. Uh, in verse 31, it says this, it says, uh, and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into uh, foolishness. Then if you would, uh, turn over to chapter 16. I'm going to read a couple of verses, verse 15. And Absalom and all the people, we know that David fled. Uh, David did not want to fight his son and and so David just left, and he's certainly not prepared to do that. And it says, And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was among them. And verse 23, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. And so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Chapter 17, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king over. Well, I believe that Ahithophel is the man uh, in Psalm 55. We find that the loyal friend and counselor of David, David's trusted guide and friend, the man that he worshiped with in the house of God, turned against David and followed and advised David's son, Absalom, uh, how to take over the throne. And of course, we find as we finished up here in these two verses, we find that Ahithophel and give me 12,000 men, we'll run him down and kill him. That's what he said. Boy, we ask ourselves, my goodness, what happened? What could bring about such a drastic change from being David's friend and counselor, and they worshiped and they prayed together? I mean, this is a long time relationship. This was not just something that was brief. And now he turns against David and desires that he personally kill David. Well, for those of you who studied this out, you've probably heard messages on it before, but um, we understand, that I, and I believe that, that the problem with Ahithophel was bitterness over an event that had taken about 12 years to deal with. And I want to, I want to back that up with scripture. I, I believe it was over David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so let's turn back now to uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter um, 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Remember that David sees this beautiful woman um, 
bathing herself out on a, a rooftop that, that could be seen from his, his palace. And, and in verse 3 it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So we find here that uh, Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, and also the wife, of course, of Uriah the Hittite. Now turn to chapter 23. Chapter 23 is a list of David's mighty men. Um, a list of his mighty men. And uh, in, in uh, let me see, verse 34. 23 and verse 34. And here we're going down the list here, but in verse 34, it talks about Eliphalet, that's his first name, the son of and Hezbi, the son of the Maonathite, and then another one, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilemite. So by that, we understand then that, that um, Bathsheba is the granddaughter of Ahithophel. Okay, Bathsheba is the granddaughter of Ahithophel. Um, notice here, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel the Gilemite. And of course, Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam. And so it'd be Ahithophel's granddaughter. And so, um, just checking the dates between chapter 11 and chapter 15, um, when the revolt takes place, it's about 12 years. And so, 12 years, Ahithophel had been angry and unforgiving and bitter against David for the sin with his granddaughter and also having her husband killed in battle. All right, so I want to use this as a jumping off point, really, the, the message. Um, by the way, I think we can all understand how that could happen, wouldn't you say? I, I think we could. I think we could understand that really. And here are two best friends. We find one betrays the other in such a hideous way. Well, defining the term, if we look at the term bitterness, from the dictionary, it's, a, it's some synonym, distasteful, uh, painful, fierce, cruel, and caustic. That's how the dictionary describes the word. Extreme enmity or grudge or hatred or an excessive degree of passions or emotions such as the bitterness of anger. It's usage in the Bible. We find the words used a lot in the Bible, really. In Exodus 1, verse 14, uh, we find the Egyptians made the lives of the Israelites bitter with bondage. And, uh, in other words, they made their lives very hard, very difficult. Made their lives miserable with bondage. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 4, we find that bitterness, bitterness there is likened to hemlock. Now, hemlock fur actually is somewhat poisonous. If you drink water uh, that has run through a forest where fur logs have dropped into it, you get sick. Um, being a carpenter, I know there's a difference between getting a hemlock fur splinter and just a splinter out of a regular piece of fur. It hurts. So it's a poison. 
Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, Naomi says, Call my name no more uh, Naomi, which means pleasant, by the way, uh, but call me Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitter, after losing her husband and two sons down in Moab. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find that Hannah is in bitterness of soul over the frustration of not being able to have a child and her husband's other wife constantly throwing that up in her face. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Agag, the Amalekite, you remember there that Saul had spared Agag and he was supposed to, supposed to kill all the Amalekites, but he spared Agag and and uh, so on, and Samuel comes along, and there's some, you know, back and forth between Samuel and, and uh, Saul, and, and uh, they, so they call Agag forward. Now, we know that Samuel was about to cut him out with a sword, right? But, but uh, Agag thought, well, uh, I think the bitterness of death is past. Feelings, they're hard enough to kill. So we see some some help from our text here, um, these various texts of uh, the, the miserable, hateful, frustrated, poisonous, distasteful, caustic, and murderous. Those are some of the synonyms, some of the parts of the definition of the word. Well, there's a number of things that contribute to bitterness, and uh, let me just give you a few, if I could. And, and uh, uh, children can cause bitterness. Many parents have been deeply hurt by attitude, actions, and words of children that they have deeply loved and sacrificed for. Uh, a foolish son is a, is a grief to his father and bitterness unto her that bear Many parents have been deeply hurt. Now, we talked about parents in the Sunday school lesson about their some of their, their deep love and sacrifices for our children, but, but but that can go with some that goes the other way as well. And some have disowned their children. And uh, there's bitterness there between them and son or daughter because of what they've done. And and then there's bitterness can be toward a spouse in Colossians 3:9 it says. Husband, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And so I can understand the ill treatment and uh, rejection, unfaithfulness, abandonment, fighting, divorce, and so on uh, can lead to bitterness in a spouse. And sometimes it doesn't take very long talking with an individual that maybe has been in a relationship like that, that, hey, man, that person is really bitter. And I know a, a, a friend in, in Idaho that that his wife had run off with another man. He said it, it ruined his life for years. He was bitter for years over that until he finally got so sick of it. He finally got right with the Lord over it and praise the Lord, everything's uh, good, at least in that part of his life. So a spouse can certainly, the ill treatment of a spouse, man or woman, can uh, certainly bring about bitterness in the, um, in the other person. Parents, uh, some children are bitter against parents who are abusive or neglectful or uncaring or played favorites or they're never around or whatever the case may be. We had a man in our church years ago, if you mention his mom or mention anything about his mom, oh my goodness, 
his countenance would change from, I mean, being kind of a happy-go-lucky individual most of the time to a, a look of just anger. Almost a scary anger would come upon his face. He despised his mother. He was bitter against her. And apparently, apparently it was over a vicious mouth and cutting words, tearing down, demeaning words. Apparently that's what it was about, but um, parents can also bring about bitterness in their children's lives. And of course, there's other things uh, that are even worse. A situation in life, sickness, that robs years of health from an individual. Um, injury that disfigures or hinders from normal life. People can become bitter over an event or something like that happening in their life. And even bitter against God, of all things. Sometimes those that live through poverty are bitter. Life is just a struggle. Uh, a handicap that keeps a person from the normal activities and pursuits of life can become bitter against God. Um, grievous experiences in life. You know, as you think about this, I'm going to give you a few examples of that. You think about, imagine those that went through a World War II concentration camp. Have you ever... Um, See, what's the name of that book about um, the runner? Um, come on, help me out. Unbroken. What? Unbroken. Uh, yeah, it's about. Um, I'm sorry. I I, I, I don't say it's I'm getting new hearing aids, by the way. Jerry, the guy. Um. Anyway, he went through. A, <laughs> he went through a, a concentration camp. Oh my goodness! They, they said. Someone asked him, they said, if you could do it all over, and by the way, he turned out, he turned out, he got saved, and he, you know, had, had a very good life after that. But he was asked, you know, if, if you knew you had to go over that again, do you want to live? And he said, no, I, I, would, I would wish that I had actually died in a plane crash rather than. Um, and I, I just looked at the book the other day, I can't believe I can't remember it, but. Um, one of these days I'll get up here, Brother Melanac keeps inviting me, and I'll forget that I forgot my message. <laughs> <laughs> or um, how about living through a war-torn country? You've seen the pictures of what's going on in Ukraine, and uh, people's houses destroyed, all their all of their belongings uh, gone, um, or you know maybe. Those who lived in Russia when Germany invaded, or vice versa when Russia invaded uh, Germany, and uh, but whatever, uh, or suffered losses because of war. Um, we had a lady in our church. She said her grandma was a just a, a pleasant Christian lady. And her, this is World War II, and her son was a, a Truman on a B-17 that bombed Germany and. Uh, in the last week of World War II, his B-17 was shot down and he was killed. And she said her mom, her grandma never went to church after that. Uh, she was bitter at God for allowing that to happen. Situations in life, you know, our life just didn't turn out like I thought it would. Our life just, I don't think life's been fair to me. Or I don't think life, you know, it just hasn't turned out. 
Imagine in Africa, the genocide. We had a couple of young people uh, that were Tutsis, uh, the Tutsi tribe in the Congo, and Armel and Falone. Falone was a girl, Armel was a boy. She was 13, he was 10. When they were told when they were at school to run, the soldiers were coming, and that's what they did. They ran out the back door, the soldier came in the front door, and, and uh, they went to a, a family's house that they were staying. They threw some things on a bed sheet and ran out into the jungle. And they were in the jungle seven months. They, they traveled by night and hid during the day. Oh, that's something. And, and they finally made a raft and, and got across Lake Tanganyika into another country and eventually made their way to the United States. Um, but you mentioned the Hutu. Oh my. I mean, these, these kids, they laughed, they were fun, they were enjoyable, they were, they were believers, they, were, they, were, they had 4.0 grade averages in, in school, I mean, good kids. But you mentioned the Hutu, which was the tribe that had persecuted the Tutsis. I don't know if you saw the, maybe the movie Hotel Rwanda. It's the same situation. Um, bitter, bitter. I think of, um, well, I gave you lots of stories, lots of stories. The Polish who fought for the Allies and was promised a free nation after Germany was defeated. In fact, Churchill promised the Poles a free country after Germany was defeated. Guess what happened? They wouldn't stand up against Stalin and it became a communist country. And most Poles who fought so hard and gave their lives and shed their blood, and uh, those who survived. And by the way, the Pol Poland was the third largest contributor of men in World War II. Most people don't know that. With the United Kingdom, you know, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and Great Britain, there's the U.S., and then the third was Poland. People had escaped and fought for the Allies in World War II. And and uh, they, those, those men that had fought so hard and had been promised and their promise broken uh, became very, very bitter. There's a lot of things, grievous experiences in life, and uh, grievous experiences in life. Um, now I want, to, I want to talk about here the, the high cost of bitterness and uh, in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrew, um, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse 15, uh, it says this. Um, Hebrews 12, and verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Trouble you, number one, a root of bitterness. We know the root of a plant under, is underneath the surface of the ground. And it, it is, uh, drinks up the nourishment from the ground. And, and so the root of bitterness pulls out of your life its strength, vitality, desire, enthusiasm, love, and affection toward others. We know that a root grows stronger and deeper with time. It's harder to dislodge with. In fact, you plant a tree about six months later, you can go out and probably pull it back out of the ground, but you give it two years and then try it. 
pretty tough to get out at that point in time. And notice it says springing up, it erupts, explodes, it shows up somewhere, and usually in the most undeserved places, like in the homes, like with children, with a spouse. Those little shoots that grow out of the main root, those little shoots of anger and harsh words and undeserved criticism, words that hurt and tear down. When Ahithophel should have been enjoying his grandchildren and could have been a sweet, kind, gentle example of the believer, he was now an angry, vindictive, irritated old man. The Bible says, if, of course, it will hurt our spiritual life as well. If we fail to forgive, we won't be forgiven. I'm not talking about losing salvation. It's just that there's consequences for not forgiving others. And uh, you think about that. You think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You think about uh, bitterness and, and being irritated and hateful and so on. And, and there be none of that fruit of the Spirit come out of our life if we're bitter. I believe it will open us up to demon influence as unforgiveness and anger do. Matthew 18. And even to murder and suicide. Ahithophel wanted to kill David and ended up hanging himself. It will trouble you. Got a quote here that I think is something to remember. Bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person will die. Bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping the other person will die. And by the way, it will not only trouble you, but it says in verse 15 of Hebrews 12, and thereby many be defiled. Well, I think there's a number of applications there. Many defiled by bitterness. Many are bitter. There are many that are defiled by bitterness. And, and certainly, tragically, those closest to you will be uh, hindered or become bitter themselves. The very ones that you would want to spare of such a thing. Children live what they learn. Learn what they live. An angry spirit, critical, become bitter themselves. And by the way, that bitterness of a person in place of authority can have tragic and disastrous consequences. You know, Adolf Hitler was bitter over the Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I. Adolf Hitler was a corporal in the German army, and, and, uh, and probably the, the armistice and the things that were put upon Germany were humiliating, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, the reparations that they were supposed to pay. And in Germany, of course, there was great inflation, you know, and it just ruined the country, if you would. And Adolf Hitler was bitter, and he was going to get back. He was going to get back, and he did, didn't he? He became a dictator over Germany in 1933 and started World War II, a war that cost, and by the way, just in the European side of it, not Japan, just on the European side of it, cost about 40 million lives. Started by a bitter man who came into power. Isn't that something? Many be defiled. 
Now, let me give you some signs of bitterness. Number one, the root just keeps springing up. When something reminds you or a name comes up, those old feelings of vengeance and hostility and blame return. They're poisonous thoughts. Well, I hope they get there. Well, someday they're going to get theirs or payback of some kind. The injustice and the pain and the the bitter feelings are relived over and over and over again. And, and so when, when there is a chance, those things are acted out. Remember when Yugoslavia got, gained their independence from the Soviet Union? You remember what happened? The Croats and the Serbs began to war immediately. And that started now the Croats are Roman Catholic and the Serbs are Greek, Greek Orthodox. And that probably had something to do with it. But, uh, but they, they were bitter enemies. And, and really there was something that went on there. The, the uh, assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that started World War I. So bad was, was all of that. And, um, I mean, they never got over some of the past troubles they had with each other. And the same with the tribal wars in Africa, very similar to that. Bitterness, secondly, the root keeps springing up. It just keeps springing up. Bitterness remembers all the details of the offense. I mean, it's been relived so many times. How unjust. How mean and uncaring. How hurtful. Ahithophel, for those 12 years, had, uh, had relived the events of David's sin with his granddaughter and her husband Uriah. How wrong it was. There was no excuse for that. I mean, David already had a bunch of wives. And he could have had more if he wanted them. Why my granddaughter? David had no respect for me, her being my granddaughter. What kind of friend was David anyway to do such a thing? remembers all the details of the offense. And of course it causes a, we think about a poisonous or caustic or disagreeable or hateful disposition that is certainly part of it as well. I want to give you a couple of things on what to do about it and, and um, um, what to do about bitterness. Well, it must be gotten out. It must be gotten out like a root dug out. Well, my wife she uh, likes sumac trees. She thinks they're pretty. And uh, um, so we got some sumac trees some years back. And a couple of years after we planted them, I was looking over at our neighbor's manicured lawn, and there's little sumac trees coming up. Oh. Uh, we put one between our lawn and our garden area, and there were sumac trees coming up in both. I thought, well, man, those things got to go. They got to go. They gotta go like a root. It had to be dug out, thoroughly dealt with. Now, I want to make it very clear that the offense or violation may be very real and very awful. Yes. I'm not minimizing that. I'm not trying to say, well, hey, just get over it. That's not, not what we're saying at all. We can get over it with God's help, right? But that's not what I'm saying. The offense or violation may be very, very real and awful, whether it be abuse or sexual abuse or 
maybe in a war atrocity or a genocide or a permanent reversal of life or a true tragedy, then it must be gone down. So number one under that, we've got to want it out. It's destructive and contrary to the will of God. Uh, we, we must want it to end. You say, well, wouldn't anybody? Well, no, not necessarily. There'd be no help if we want to continue to carry a grudge or secretly enjoy the thoughts of vengeance or holding an offense over the head of the perpetrator. But bitterness will cause your ruin, not theirs. We gotta want it out. We gotta want it out because of what it does to our, our walk with God and our spiritual life. And, and just what it does to us mentally, emotionally. You gotta want it out. Number two, we need to confess bitterness is sin. Now the offense may belong to others, but the sin of bitterness belongs to you and I. The offense may belong to others, but the bitterness belongs to you and I. We need to take personal responsibility for bitterness and confess it to God as sin. And it doesn't matter if the offender is sorry or not. It doesn't matter if they've asked forgiveness or not. We need to decide that the offense and the offender is not going to ruin our relationship with God any longer and confess our sin to the Lord. And then this is difficult, but number three is to forgive offenders from your heart. No longer going to hold that debt over their heads. Turn them loose and set them free so you can be free. God will deal with that. Number four, we must depend on the grace of God. I think that's pretty obvious by this point. Um, a couple of verses. We know that um, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter uh, 12, uh, Paul had asked the Lord to uh, remove what he called a thorn in the flesh. And, um, and of course, the, the Lord had, had not done that, uh, at least yet, uh, in his life. In chapter 12, in verse 9, you remember, uh, remember that, um, let me see, well, that's 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I read, my, I read this wrong up here. Um, you remember that in verse um, 8, um, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me, that it might be, depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Notice my grace is sufficient. The point here is we must depend. If, we, if we're going to do some difficult things like, like have this thing put out of our mind, uh, uh, getting past this thing and forgiving others, um, it's going to take the grace of God because humanly that's not, that's not normal for a, uh, for a human being. That's not normal to the human nature. The human nature wants payback in some way. And so we must depend on the grace of God. He says, His grace, you are sufficient. And, and I want you to know that, and I believe the Bible makes it very uh, plain that God's grace is sufficient for anything that we may have to do. 
is sufficient for anything that we have to do. Um, in uh, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And so we, we talk, it talks about all grace abound toward you, having all sufficiency, not just sufficiency, but all sufficiency. And then notice all things. And then the word abound. Uh, man, it, it just, it's almost like you can't think up enough descriptive words here to describe the, the sufficiency of God's grace and what he's willing to give to you and I. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So we, we need to trust him to give the daily enablement to give us the victory over whatever that offense was or, or may be and refresh and restore our, our souls. Ahithophel could have had a good ending. He could have had a good ending. Um, but he did not. Uh, uh, David was guilty of a heinous sin, but Ahithophel didn't have to be bitter and the whole thing end the way it did which was to go out and hang himself. And number five, we need just to be careful about allowing ourselves to become bitter. We need to ask the Lord to search us from time to time. You know, search me and know my heart. You know, Psalm 139. Um, we need to ask the Lord to examine our hearts. And, and I think we need to uh, examine our feelings as we look at or listen to someone or hear about someone, we need to examine our thoughts toward that and, and just examine our life from time to time uh, to detect maybe some bitterness that has entered into our hearts. We need to be very careful not to let anger and unforgiveness and those uh, form into bitterness and rob you of your life and rob others of you. And so as we think about this thing of bitterness, it is an awful thing. I've witnessed it personally, not in my own life, but, but well, maybe to small degrees, but, but I've witnessed it in other people's lives, and it, it is something that is obvious, especially the more it advances and the more it, it becomes uh, a part of a person's life. The longer it's allowed to go on, it becomes worse and worse. That root grabs hold, and it's very difficult to remove. And so as we think about some of the minor offenses in life, or maybe we think about some of the things that we really wish would have turned out different, or we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't expect it to be this way, or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of people that their life didn't turn out like they thought it was going to turn out, or the events of their life, or, you know, we, we imagine how we want things to go, and, and oftentimes they just don't go that way. And we can become bitter over it, whether it's an event in life, uh, uh, a tragedy in life, whether it's someone that has, has offended us, someone has violated us. Those things do happen, but we don't have to become bitter. We don't have to become bitter. 